You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been serving us for over 65 years. They are built to top industry standards. Interstate Batteries has been technician's choice for nine years and counting. Their business is powered by a distributor network of 300 wholesale warehouses and backed up by more than 200,000 dealers around the world. They're guided by a set of common values and they're committed to enriching lives as they deliver the most trustworthy source of power to the world. You can find out more by visiting interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 88. On this episode, we are talking again to Mr. Bobby Worthington for part two of... of, uh, I don't even know how you describe it. How to kill the biggest bucks ever. Um, He has been an outstanding guest. And he has got so much knowledge that we are splitting it up into parts. And this is going to be part two. And we're keying in on stand placement. This is a really good episode, guys. So stay tuned. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. All right, guys, I'm going to make this extremely quick today. Um, I'm very excited about this episode. We have got part two with Mr. Bobby Worthington. Now, this is during the uh, the Local Legends series, and we were not expecting to split this episode up into parts. We were expecting to have one episode, but what we quickly realized is to go into detail on the amount of things that we wanted to talk with uh, Bobby about, we were going to have to split this up. And originally, last week, we were going to just split it up into two parts. But after recording this episode, we have decided again to split it up into three parts. So um, we're extremely excited about this episode. I think it's going to it's gonna wreck your world. It's going to change your outlook on, um, on stand location. He talks a lot about um, how he decides which tree is the perfect tree. And this is obviously um, in part two or in part one, we talked about the three keys to success that Bobby um, has laid out for us. And in part one, we went over um, the first one, and that was hunting during the rut, uh, which is the time that he believes is the best time to go in and kill a mature buck. In this part, we're going to cover stand placement. Um, We're going to talk about funnels. We're going to talk about buck sign. We're going to talk about how to read the sign and kind of put the pieces all together Um, for chasing that mature buck it's an extremely detailed episode and again like I said in the first part of this um, of of this conversation with Bobby um, 
you need to take notes. Like taking notes is going to be your best friend to be able to absorb all the information that he is going to give you here. I'm super excited about it. I know you guys are looking forward to it. I've had countless messages this past week of people saying, when the crap is part two going to be up? I'm ready for part two. I've already listened to part one three times. I'm ready for part two. Well, here it is. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind you guys that you can check out ScreeGear.com. I've been using ScreeGear for about the last year and a half um, for turkey hunting, deer hunting, scouting, everything. Um, Early season, late season, into the coldest parts of the season, and it has held up tremendously. It's been it's been awesome. I have loved uh, using Scree Gear. You can use the code Southern Ground, um, all lowercase and all one word at checkout to uh, get ten percent off of your order at ScreeGear.com. So go and check those guys out. Also check out TetheredNation.com. You guys, we are doing a giveaway for a Tethered Phantom, and we're giving it away. We intended to give it away at the end of the month, which is when the Local Legend series was going to be over. But since Local Legends has been, uh, it's kind of been extended a little bit further than what we originally intended, we're going to give you guys a little bit of extra time to sign up. All you got to do is subscribe to the Southern Ground Hunting YouTube channel. Um, I'm super excited about this. We have uh, been doing our own channel now for about a month or so, and it's grown tremendously. And that's all you got to do is go subscribe and you'll be entered for a chance to win a Tethered Phantom. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I know a lot of you are waiting for us to announce that. I wanted to let you guys know that that's been extended because we are extending the Local Legends series. And we told everyone that they had through the Local Legends series to sign up for this. So um, go and do that. Other than that, guys, I don't have anything. Um, I'm excited to get into this episode with Mr. Bobby Worthington on stand placement. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And this is actually part two with uh, with quite possibly our most popular guest that we've had so far today, Mr. Bobby, Bobby Worthington. So um, I'm not going to take up too terribly much time right here. Drew, I- I'd be interested to hear your thoughts from part one. My thoughts from part one was I need to take more notes in part two. Um, just, uh, uh, Mr. Bobby has just such a wealth of information and not just information, but just the experience of, of killing big deer, how to kill big deer. And, um, you were not exaggerating la- uh, last time, Parker, whenever you said, listen, get a notepad out. And so guys get a notepad out, get your phone out, get, and, and pull up your notes and just get it ready. Cause I'm, I'm so, I'm so excited to, to hear about Stand placement, which is something that I struggle with greatly, mm-hmm. greatly, yeah. and um, it, especially being new to the mobile hunting. And so I'm, I'm just so excited. So, so, excited. so last week what we covered was <clears throat> we covered um, a lot of things up top, uh, but w- when we really got into it, we talked about the three elements that are the, the three keys to success that mm-hmm. um, that Mr. Worthington uses, and um, the first one that we hit. In, in part one was hunting deer in the rut, hunt, yeah. hunt that big buck deer in the rut, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, obviously the rut for everybody who's been deer hunting for a fair amount of time, the rut is the time to be in the woods. Yep. However, I have never heard it put so detailed as what Bobby told us about. So this next part, we are going to discuss the second key to the success, which is stand placement. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I'm just going to do st- same 
Yeah. Same game, different yeah. time. I mean, we're just we're just gonna Turn let it go. But yeah. but first, we, I, I feel like we need to we need to give um, a like a, a standing ovation for today's guest, Mr. Bobby <laughs> yes. Worthington. Bobby, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I, I really appreciate that. I don't think I've ever had a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> well, judging by the feedback that we've gotten from people this past week. Um, people may have been listening to it sitting down, but in their minds, they were giving you a standing ovation. People have loved this, and I, I definitely don't think part two is going to be any different. Oh, no, no, no. No different. So mm-hmm. um, so let me ask you this, Bobby. You told me we were supposed to record part two uh, last week, and you told me that you had a bad run-in with a hornet, I believe. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got a nest in the walls of my house here, and a few of them's occasionally getting in, and I I stepped on one. So. Ouch! Oof. Ouch! That's been right. I've been there. <laughs> That's funny. That I know it's not funny. I know it's probably not funny when you're the one getting stung, but. Um, and we were vlogging today and cutting timber, and my my partner actually got stung five or six times, but luckily I was able to. Uh, I was able to evade him. Maybe I could run a little faster than he could. <laughs> so they say you only got to be you only got to be the fastest guy in the group. Yeah, that's it. Yep. So well, that's cool. Well, uh, Bobby, I don't feel like we need to give you much more of an introduction. No. Um, but just kind of let you just run with this next part, which is uh, part two, talking about stand placement. So on your mark, get set, go, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I appreciate it. I think it's good we might back up and do a quick review of part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 let's do it. Yeah, go for it. That'd be great. Okay. In, in part one, I revealed that I believe the number one problem with most would-be trophy hunters is that they just don't understand what is important and what is not when it comes to killing big bugs. I discussed uh, that in pretty good detail. I, I mentioned this is partly due to the commercialization of deer hunting. And self maybe self-promotion of individuals who like to be considered experts, even though they may have not put the time and effort in required to reach that status. Because of false information put out by people who really don't understand what is important in our quest to harvest mature bucks, I believe a lot of incorrect information is being passed around. I guess you could call this circular reasoning. We see this in a lot of walks of life. It, it, it should be apparent that many of the ones who pass in this information back and forth and to others, they really don't have the resume that maybe they should have to be considered true experts. Of course, you guys know that you can set it behind a computer screen and be anything I guess you want to be. But I want to say I've spent a big part of my life singularly focused on bow hunting big bucks uh, for probably 55 years much of my daily thought and effort has been on this subject i've spent much more time in the deer woods than i have indoors i'll have to say that <laughs> and i say that to say this to let you know that i might know something about killing big bucks and if you do not understand this up front, you and a lot of my listeners uh, may not take this information to heart because it may be a little seem a little simpler than a lot of stuff that's put out there, and it it it, it, it maybe maybe seem a little too simple. So.
So that's why I wanted to say that. It would be disappointing to me if that was the case. Uh, bow hunting has given me much joy and feelings of accomplishment throughout my life, and the older I get, the more I feel the need to pass this information on to others. Uh, it's information, knowledge, that I can pass on, not the selling of gimmick or promoting uh, promoting uh, hunting aids that really don't make a difference. I've had plenty of opportunities to be on hunting shows, and I always declined. I I just I just I can't push products and tell blue collar workers like me that if you buy this product or buy more products and uh, you're going to kill more bucks. That's just that's that's just not the case. Educating others is my stewardship to the sport of bow hunting trophy whitetail. Like most people who reach a certain level of accomplishment, I feel a need to pass information on to others. When it comes to things I understand, such as bow hunting trophy whitetail deer and archery, I'm willing to help all who ask of me. My fear is not that by doing so, I will fall victim to myself. My fear is that I will awaken one morning and not have anything hard to push against, and as a result, I will grow weak and perish. I, I, I don't care to help anybody that asks me, even my competitors, because I need I need something every day to push hard against, and and uh, the, the more competition they can give me, then the better I will be is what I'm trying to say. As I stated, our main goal in bow hunting is to increase our chances that a mature buck will walk by our stand during legal shooting hours. That's 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 it. Buying more gimmicks will not help in this endeavor. I can fellas I can actually hunt with the cheapest bow and tree stand on the market and it and it will not affect my success one bit. Mm-hmm. And those reached a certain level all all could tell you the same thing. My success is based on knowledge and the time and effort it takes to implement that knowledge. This is the only way to obtain mature bucks. That is to earn them. If you're going to kill multiple mature bucks, you've got to earn them. That's the only way to do it. In part one, I introduced three things like we talked about that will increase our chances of success in bow hunting trophy whitetail. Any one of these three tactics taken alone will increase our odds of success to some degree. However, when we take all three and when we implement all three, I think it will give a hunter and better than average chance that he will be able to harvest mature bucks. The three tactics as we talked about a while ago, uh, I'm talking about is hunting during the rut, stand selection, or stand placement, some people might want to call it, and persistence. We talked about the benefits of hunting during the rut last time in part one and and discussed the main thing is how it can diminish our chance when hunting a mature older class buck. It can diminish our chance of success if we hunt here like this before the rut movement starts because uh, they didn't, you've heard a lot, they didn't, they didn't get over being dumb, but <laughs> I've told you how. You know, I've told you I've told you how they can discover that we're hunting them before the rut, and most people will find that big sign and they'll get excited and they'll get in there and get set up on it, and they'll hunt it and hunt it and never kill the deer, and they just they just don't understand why. Well, I hope I 
maybe answered some of those questions. We covered that as thoroughly as possible, I think, in the time we had available. <clears throat> so now we're going to take a look at number two, which is stand selection. If you're not hunting in the right location, fellas, you'll, you'll, you'll never get a chance at a mature buck, even while hunting during the rut. So one of these taken alone will increase your chances of success somewhat. I've heard it said that any tree in the woods during the rut can produce a mature buck, and that's true. So hunting during the rut will increase your stand, your, your chances somewhat, but if you're not in the right location, that's, that, that somewhat may be once or twice during a lifetime. So we've got to add all three of these together to give ourselves a reasonable chance that a mature buck will walk by our stand uh, close enough for a shot. I think poor stand location is the reason many hunters hunt all their lives and, and never harvest a mature buck. They do not find that one tree a mature walk, buck will walk by more than any other or pass by even once. So I'm amazed when I scout public or otherwise hunted drowned to find that the only tree I would possibly consider hunting from has never had a tree stand in it. This has happened on multiple occasions. I've killed most of my big bucks on public ground, and I will get in there and walk it thoroughly in the spring or fall sometimes is the occasion. I like to do it in the spring, of course, and do my scouting. But I will walk that thoroughly, and I will find that one special spot. It will jump out at me. I will realize it's that one special spot. And the only stand maybe in the whole park or public hunting that I would put a tree stand in and consider hunting and there's never been a never been a stand in it so that's that's always amazed me I have often thought that some of you guys may be familiar with some of these fellas but that if the late Roger Roth there and Barry and Gene Winslow and Don Higgins and myself I've often thought if we all scouted the same patch of woods and each picked three trees to hunt from I honestly believe that we would pick two of the same trees, if not all three. Once you realize what's really important in stand selection, then you will start killing mature bucks regularly. So I'm going to try to point out a few things that might help you in this. <clears throat> Many of my mature bucks has been killed in locations that very few, if any, hunters would have been hunting. This is because that in a lot of these locations, there were no big buck sign whatsoever around my stand. Big buck sign in and of itself is not what dictates where I place my stands. I place my stands in pinch points and funnels. You, you could use these words. Uh, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but we're all talking about the same place. Whatever terminology you want to use, it describes restrictions which narrows parallel game movement. This is what I look for when I enter the woods to find a place to shoot an old buck. By nature, a funnel does not cover much distance. Sometimes no more than a few yards will be inside the forced deer movement. This is the reason a lot of funnels have no big buck sign in them. However, if you take each of the forced together corridors or trails and if you walk them in say both directions 100 yards 
you will probably find a lot of big buck sign, particularly if it's three or more corridors. So if you take all the big buck sign on each of the corridors and 100 yards in each direction and put that all together at the point the funnel tightens up, then you would have an indication of the possible productivity of that funnel. So what I'm saying is all the big buck sign on the trails, the 100 yards each way, say, that's leading to that funnel, you just as well, it's just, it would be the same thing as having that sign at that funnel because the bucks that are forced there is coming to the funnel, the ones that's making the sign. So with any place in the whole wide world to be, you must find that one tree a material buck will walk by more than any other. Oftentimes, he don't even know where that will be himself when he starts moving. You can find this tree if you know what to look for, though. This tree will be in some geographical or man-made feature that will funnel parallel deer movement. This spot will definitely be in a funnel. You see, a deer is a deer, is a deer is a living creature where everyone is found. His movements are governed by terrain features which offer the least and safest route. All living creatures, whether we're talking about rats or fish or varmints or white-tailed deer or even people, have similar traits that govern their life. To be successful, those who desire to intercept living things should understand that there are living areas where all creatures feel safe and spend most of their time. Depending on the animal, these are sometimes called living areas, they're called lairs, they're called sanctuaries, and they're called homes. Uh, so it just depends on what animal you're talking about. Additionally, there are places which all living things for one reason or another travel to. And of course, by requirement then, there are paths or travel routes which are used to connect living areas to where animals travel. It is most important to realize that on these travel routes there are restrictions and obstacles which constrict travel down to a smaller than normal place. It is in these restricted areas of travel which those who are interested in intercepting living creatures should be most concerned in finding. From talking to a lot of people over the years about funnels, it has been apparent to me, fellas, that a lot of them still don't really grasp what funnels are and they do not grasp the benefit of funnels. So I'm going to try to use a couple of different things here. I was thinking about that today to kind of point out their benefit and exactly what a funnel, the advantage it gives you and what they are. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, use an illustration, let's say using human beings. I think I can compare the two here. Uh, this is a sample we'll all understand because we are humans and we understand humans and human activity better than we can understand any animal. So hopefully we'll be able to take this scenario and r relate it to a white-tailed deer. So what I was thinking about today, let's assume we are in a law enforcement officer who has discovered the location of, a, say, a long-sought-after fugitive. Fu this fugitive 
uh, illustrates a mature buck. And we, the law enforcement officer, let's say that we're the hunters. Okay, our, our, our subject is an experienced career trainable who will not be easy to apprehend. He will quickly flee if he realizes he is being hunted. And that's the same as a mature whitetail, of course. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we cannot, we cannot just rush in and try to grab him. We'll have to study his movements through surveillance and discover where he lives, works, eats, shops, and frequents, you know. These places are in our fugitive's town, which can be compared to a buck's home range. Mm-hmm. So... In most situations, it would not be advisable to attempt to pick up a fugitive at his house. When this fugitive is home, he would probably see us coming up the street and run out the back door if we attempted to apprehend him there. So a person's home is compared to a buck's sanctuary. He's got escape routes, and, and he's, he's picked a place where he can see trouble coming. Furthermore, we, we probably would not be a good idea to try to arrest a fugitive while he's moving about his yard and workshop and, and the immediate area of his home. This location would demonstrate a buck's core area. He knows this location like the back of his hand and would notice any intruder approaching. Likewise, we would probably not want to go to his job because he could see us approaching and escape because we would not know exactly where he is at his job site. A job site would illustrate a place a buck travels to and spends much of his time, say, a prime feeding area where there's a lot of does. So we decide to hide and wait on our fugitive as he's traveling to and from his home to his job, say, because this is where he travels to most often. We know we'll only have one shot to apprehend him because if he detects us, it will be very difficult to get close to him again. Same way with mature buck. If we miss him, he's gone because he'll either, our fugitive would start making evasive moves to avoid us or he'll leave the location completely. And that's the same exact way with a mature buck. So let's assume our trainable has five travel routes when leaving his home heading to work. These five different roads are corridors or travel routes for for a buck. They represent corridors or trails or travel routes for a buck also. Sometimes our fugitive takes one route because he may need gas. Other times he takes another route because he wants to stop and get breakfast. He might take another route, one of the five roads, because uh, he needs to pick up some groceries on the way to work. Another road, he might, might be a more scenic route, say, and he travels it when he's not in a hurry. Not knowing exactly which road the fugitive will take when he leaves his house on a given day, we decide it would not be a good idea to try to intercept him close to his house because we do not know which of the five different roads he will travel. He may, We might be waiting on one route uh, that he does not travel down for a couple of weeks or more. The five different roads are, are not any different than uh, five different trails a buck occasionally travels and leaves big sign on. So by scouting the area in the fugitive's town, a mature buck's home range, same thing, we discover that there is a major river between our subject's home and place he travels to, including work. 
we further discover that there's only two bridges that cross this river. One of the roads, one of the two roads crossed, once the two roads crossed the river, they branch out into several different trails uh, going to the fugitive's job and other places of interest. In a buck's home range, the river represents some type of barrier that restricts parallel movement and forces the movement together or through gaps in it. It could be a ditch funnel with steep banks which the deer goes around, or it could represent a creek or stream or river with a couple of low places in the bank where most of the deer cross. Well, because of this river, we will not need to try and guess which one of many roads the fugitive will be traveling. This natural geographic feature of the river is a pinch point or funnel that narrows traffic down to a much more refined area than otherwise would be the case. Here the traffic goes across the river, is narrowed down to two bridges. This is where a savvy law enforcement officer, I think, would want to set up and try to apprehend the fugitive, just as we would increase our odds of success when we set up in a funnel when hunting a mature buck. Is, is there anything else we can do to increase our odds of success in apprehending the fugitive even more than setting up on one of the two bridges which he crosses regular? Well, what if we decide to put a road-closed construction sign on one of the bridges? This would increase our chances twice as much on any given day. Well, this would be similar to blocking one of one or two trails or corridors close to our stand so we could push the buck on the trail that passes by within, within range. So you've got a big funnel, say the backbone of a ridge, and it's a little wider where we want to hunt than, than we'd like it to be. So if we have permission, if it's our land or we get permission, we could cut down some trees and different things and push that trail over and, and clean out clean out and make it look like the trail we want him to be on is really used and no obstacles at all. I do this all the time. And if I'm not allowed to cut down a tree or something of that nature, I'll pull up some old limbs, brush piles. There's always large limbs and different things falling in the woods, and I, I will block, I'll block that off. So that'd be the same way. Okay, let's get back to our fugitive. Even with the best we can do to put the odds in our favor on a given day, it's not foolproof even at that. We might pick, fellas, we might pick a day or two the fugitive is off work, and he might be traveling in the opposite direction to somewhere unexpected. This, this could represent a buck being pulled off his regular schedule by a hot doe or forced movement, see? And furthermore, the fugitive may take a vacation and and return back to his birthplace, which he left young in life to find better employment, and he might do this for a week or more to visit with his family. Well, this would be like a mature buck returning to his secondary home range for a few days or a few weeks. Because of these reasons, we would not necessarily intercept our fugitive as soon as we would like. However, if we're patient, we will intercept him eventually because we have to put the odds, we, we put the odds in our favor by hunting the funnels in every possible way we can. 
in every way humanly possible, and sooner or later we're going to kill that material buck. But some people, I think, do get discouraged because they they set up in a funnel, they listen to and, and read about a lot of funnels, and they set up in them, and they expect it to be automatic and quick, and you're dealing with personalities with humans and with deer. So the deer could have been pulled off a few days, or like I said, a lot of times I think he in his secondary home range, and people don't even realize that. So I hope this illustration demonstrates why hunting a restricted area of funnel during the rut can put the odds in our favor more than anything else. If we set up in a corridor, such as a strip of narrow woods where one or more mature bucks occasionally pass through, we might have a decent chance of success at this location if we hunt enough during the rut and if we hadn't already educated the deer to our presence before he's moving in daylight. Even so, we must remember that when the does start coming in heat, a given mature buck can be traveling anywhere. When they start cruising, looking for a hot doe, it does little good to set up on buck sign. They're through with that. They're making that to advertise their presence and attract the does and let the family groups and those know they're coming through. But once them does start coming in heat, then they no longer are concerned about the corridors where they're making the sign. And they won't necessarily be walking trails or traveling down corridors for this reason. Oftentimes, as you know, mature bucks traveling during the rut don't even know where the trails and rubs and scrapes are in the woods they're passing through because it may be two miles. They may be traveling two miles from their home looking for a hot doe or the first hot doe or they may be between does. During the rut, mature bucks are often seen traveling through fields, crossing roads, and major interstates. They're, they're just going in that rut craze. A funnel or restriction that forces deer movement into a smaller area is vital to hunt during this time because such an obstacle confines traveling bucks and it forces them to a smaller location and makes that location somewhat predictable if you know what to look for when you're when you're looking for a, a restriction. Fellas, I'm gonna paint a picture for you to further show the benefits of hunting a funnel and maybe explain a little more what a funnel's like. Let's take a regular sheet of notebook paper and turn it on its side and Let's just imagine this represents a patch of woods that we will be hunting that has no funnel in it. Now, in both of my books, I've got I've got a picture illustrating this, but for a lot of my listeners, they're not going to have this picture. So I'm gonna I'm gonna paint a picture here with words the best I can. So let's take a regular piece of notebook paper and turn it turn it long ways horizontally. And let's assume that five different mature bucks will pass through this hunting area during the rut. So let's draw five horizontal lines spaced down the paper representing the travel of five mature bucks on our hunting property. We're going to randomly space these lines because during the rut, when bucks are in their rut craze looking for hot does, there's really no rhyme or reason to where they will travel unless they're forced to travel a certain place. 
So as you can see, if you put a spot anywhere on the piece of paper representing a, a, a deer stand, there would be no more than one and a big possibility, no bucks close, close to that spot. There would be none of them walking close to that spot and just by chance maybe one, but that's it. Now that's what represents where most people are hunting. When those bucks start rambling and getting their rut crazed and they're no longer following their corridors where they're backing their raves, rubs and scrapes, they're looking for that hot first hot doe or they're between does, that is exactly what will represent how they travel. I can't, I can't describe that to you and sound like I'm sophisticated or some kind of whitetail guru and know a lot more about where a deer will be walking than you will by telling you something about his lifestyle. I can just point out the odds to you and tell you the truth about it, and, and that is just the way it is. Uh, okay, now let's let's do something different since. Since none of these bucks is passing by our stand, let's draw a dark line halfway through the paper from the bottom up with a marker. Let's just take a marker and draw a dark line halfway up. This line represents, let's say, a ditch funnel or a body of water, something that will force deer up around it to the head of it. Okay, keep in mind that a mature buck will walk three times further around a ditch funnel than he will walk down in it and back up out of it, especially an older buck because when they get older, arthritis sets up in their hips, and that's why you see these bucks looking real stiff walking during the rut. It's because they, they're enhanced travel day and night, and arthritis is set up, and they would have a difficult time climbing out of even a, a small ditch. Plus, it puts them in a blind spot, and they don't like that, so they would walk three times further around. So this this line, like I said, represents a ditch or a body of water that will force deer around to the head of it, and it could be some other kind of a funnel that would force deer through a gap in it, but ours is a, a ditch or a body of water. Now, let's redraw the lines which intersect, which intersect the black mark. Let's this is the lines that represent the deer walking walking through the lower half of the paper. Let's draw them up to the top of the mark and then draw them back down to where they were and cause they're gonna travel on on their way where they was going. And just draw the remainder of the way across the piece of paper. Now let's place a dot which, like I said, represents a tree stand at the top of this dark mark, which represents the head of a restricted area, like a like a ditch funnel. Now, now, how does how does a stand placement? How does our stand placement look? Much as better. you can see, yeah. Well, as you can see, it's put three of the five deer within close proximity of each other and of our stand. If we're set up correctly at the head of a funnel, of course all funnels are not made the same. Some of them are tighter, some of them cover a longer distance, and some of them restrict deer movement 100% and some of them not 100%. But as you can see, a ditch funnel, if you walk through the woods and down the backbone of a ridge just slightly, you'll come upon a pretty steep funnel uh, occasionally as water 
has eroded the ground as it's run off the ridge and, and made a drainage or, or a ditch ditch funnel. And as, and as you can, if you go up to the head of that where it begins to fade out, then you will see several trails coming together. And right at the very pinch point of the head of it, all of them will be pushed to one major trail. And this is even better if the top of it, this, this ridge is farmed and there's a fill on top. Even the deer that would be walking the top is walking down and going between the where the ditch fades out and the fill. So this are some of the most enjoyable funnels I hunt. It, 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 that's the funnel I look for most often. It's not the only one. When we when we hunt a funnel where three or more corridors or travel routes or trails are forced together within range of our weapon, we give ourselves the odds. And let's say we're hunting a funnel where three travel door corridors are forced together. Well, we give ourselves the same odds hunting one day right there as we would hunting three separate days, let's say 100 yards either direction, where only we're covering one corridor. So as you can see, because more bucks are moving during the rut and because we're in a place that forces more bucks together, then it all does the same thing. It increases our odds that a mature buck will walk by our stand. And you say, well, I'm not going to just hunt one day so, or you say, well, I can just hunt one day a week, and, and it'd be the same as hunting three days a week. Well, that's that's correct. But when I cover persistence, I want to point out how valuable it is to hunt as much as you possibly can. So let's say we hunt the whole 25 days of rut movement time in a funnel that forces three or four different corridors together. Now, can you see how that would increase our chances that a mature buck will be forced by our stand? That will, that's exactly the goal we're wanting. So I'm just really trying to, I'm really trying to point this out and, and how important it is to hunt something because during the rut, when they're in their rut craze and they're moving, they don't pay attention to trails, rubs, scrapes, corridors. They don't even know where they're at a lot of times in the wood they're passing through. So when when, when we're scouting, for the place to shoot a mature buck, our job is to find the best funnel that we can possibly find in our hunting areas. Some funnels are easy to find, fellas. I mean, they're just obvious. I mean, I've seen open gates and an old farm fence in the middle of a backbone. It's just some of them are that obvious. I have often pulled up an old fence from the leaves and forced it up and propped it up with forked sticks to refine deer. Like I said, I've, I've cut down trees even it's, and pulled brush up. Some of them are easy to find. And before I even go to hunting area, what I will do, I will get a topographical map and area photograph of that, and I will put them side by side. Because on some of the some of the funnels you can see on the area photograph they really stick out but you cannot see them on the topographical map and likewise sometimes you'll see one on topographical map that will not show up on the area photograph so if you know what to look for you're you're looking for the geographical 
features of the uh, topo lines and and where they're narrowed down for different reasons, ditches on both sides. Sometimes you can see them uh, funnels a lot better on the topo map, and sometimes the aerial photograph will reveal them that you won't even see on the topo map. But the best way to find funnels, and this has been the case for me anyway, is get in and walk the property. If I'm going to a new, I killed a real big deer in Illinois a few years ago. It went to a piece of property I've never been on before, and the first thing I asked the guy that had uh, directed me to this piece of property, I said, are there any creeks or streams on it? And he said there was. And I found a creek crossing and killed just an absolute monster. <laughs> so if there's any creeks or streams on the land that I want to hunt, I'll walk them first, and I'll be looking for natural places where the bank's low where deer will cross. And then I'll walk any bluff line or steep bank if there's any on the property, to find a gap in the bluff line or, or the bank that deer are passing through. And then, fellas, I walk the backbones of ridges looking for drainages that push deer up to the top. And if I find one on one side of the backbone, I want to go to the other side, and hopefully there's a steep drainage offset of it on the other side of the backbone. And if there is, then you've really got to go, mine, where two two steep drainages with deep sides is running parallel with that ridge. And that's not only good because it's pushing all the deer to the top, it also forms a saddle when you've got two deep drainages like that that's meeting on the backbone of a ridge. If you look at it from a distance, look at the ridge line, and you'll see it's a little lower there. So any deer going over there across the top will also go that way and use that saddle. Uh, just keep in mind when you're walking around the woods looking for funnels, deer will follow the path of least resistance just like you will when you're walking through the woods. Uh, some some funnels are less, less distinctive than some of these we just talked about. Some funnels may be actually made by the way the air current eats across the property. These can be difficult to find. Uh, anytime you find where three or more trails merge together for a little ways before branching back out, then you have discovered a funnel. And if you look at the area, you may realize the topographical or man-made feature that's causing that. And fellas, sometimes you may not. Like I said, it, it may be that the air is a certain way. Did you know that there's places in the woods that a mature buck, and as they get older, they learn these places. There's places they can go and actually smell humans from several different directions in one spot. I'll give you a couple examples. In a low place where the in the evening as the air cools, where it gets to the bottom of a bowl-like terrain feature, it will settle there, and it will be coming to that spot from all the ridges around it. So you can stand in one spot, a deer can stand in one spot, and as the air comes down the ridges to this one low bowl or, or bottom, then they can smell intruders from several different locations, not just one direction if there's no wind current. And you can take a, I hunt in a lot, of, I live in a mountainous area, and I hunt a lot of bluff lines, and air can be blown in a certain direction through a gap in a bluff, and it will pull air from the ridge on both sides of the gap. It will pull air into that bluff. And these deer learn that. 
So there's there's there are certain funnels that are made the way that just because of the way the air eases across the landscape. And the best way I found to find these subtle funnels is to walk the woods two or three days after a few inches of snow has covered the ground. You'll be amazed, fellas, at what you'll find if you'll walk the woods when there's snow on the ground. It's You'll, you'll cut a trail and walk a few deer tracks will be on a trail and before you know it there'll be four or five more coming to that trail and, and then maybe from the other direction some more come into it. And I count the tracks. The, I count the number of tracks. When they really get concentrated, I'll count the number of tracks that has been funneled together, whether it's a funnel I recognize and realize why or not. And then I'll take off again, and I'll follow another trail, and I'll come up to another tight funnel, and I'll count those tracks. And, and actually, I'm doing that during the snow, and I will add up the number of tracks in each funneled together place, and one of the biggest ways that I pick the funnel I will be hunting for is the one with, that has the most funneled together tracks. Of course, I'll also consider my, my approach to the stand, how easy I can get into it and, and different things, but I really like to concentrate my effort uh, when I'm scouting during the snow and find a lot of tracks forced together. I like to concentrate my effort where the largest number of tracks are together. Uh, most people just cannot find that special location a mature buck passes through during daylight to give themselves a reasonable chance of success. I hope this is, I'm pointing out here, talking about funnels, why that is and, and, and what place we should be looking for. Uh, fellas, a lot of people just can't find it, and a lot of hunters do not recognize it as such when they do happen upon that great location. They simply don't know what they're looking for and or they're not confident enough in their ability to find that special place. I've had a lot of people come and want to go to the woods with me and scout with me. I used to put on a little hunting seminar in the woods, and I occasionally still take a few people out and, and show them kind of what I've had the opportunity to learn through many years. And I've taken a lot of them out, and I kind of guided them in a certain direction toward a real tight funnel that covers a lot of distance. And once they get there, they begin to see the benefits and kind of mention this and that and, and but before you know it nearly all of them will start second guessing themselves and they'll want to move on so it's important a lot of times you'll find that special place and you just won't really realize it now how do you realize it it's just through experiences the only way i can tell you and hunting them and seeing that that was beneficial and the other than one or you can do like i was talking about wait till snow falls and get in the woods and if twice as many tracks are going through that one spot within bow range of your stand as any other spot, then you have found the spot. You just need confidence enough in it to hunt it and hunt it a lot. If you don't have confidence in a place and you half-heartedly hunt it and you decide after a day or two to get down and go somewhere else, then it will never do you go no good. And I've also found this. Sometimes if the hunter does recognize that special place, and once he becomes an actor at that location, it's no longer the sacred place he was because of the hunter's careless intrusion. You can't be sitting there before the rut wearing a great spot out, and you can't, 
you can't not have confidence in it during the rut and get down after 10 o'clock and leave and then go back in because every time you're in and out, you're disturbing the area and disturbing the deer. Then I want to talk more about that in, in when I discuss persistence. Just about every hunting property has that special place where a good buck can be killed every year or two. This place fellas, I guarantee you, will be in some type of funnel. I know you've all heard about it. Guys saying, hey, there's a tree on this property that my dad and my grandpa and and me, and and I put another hunter there and he killed a deer. A lot of times they happen on it by luck. They just happen to get in that area and kill one and then they'll put somebody else there and they'll kill them. And, And I guarantee you, every one of those is in a funnel. I guarantee you, every sacred place to hunt a to kill a mature buck is in a funnel. There's so much I can. There's so many rabbits I can chase here down different holes, but I'm gonna. I'm not going to right now. Uh, you mentioned some questions and answers later, so we'll look at that. Uh, as I previously stated, though, not all good funnels has big buck sign in them. However, the ones that do will give you a much more indication of their productivity. Now I'm going to make a statement here. Fellas, the most productive place on earth to hang a stand to kill a buck is in a tight funnel with big rubs that are made at different times of the year and even during different years. Let me say that again. The most productive place on earth you can hunt is in a tight funnel with big buck sign that is made at different times of the year and during different years. Now the reason I said big buck sign made at different times uh, may not be obvious, but let me tell you, oftentimes a mature buck will be moving through a location and stop and make several rubs in one place before traveling on. He may make 10 or 12 rubs. And a layman may walk upon such a location and get extremely excited because of all the big buck sign he's seen. And, and and he gets really excited and starts hunting there and just wires it out. Well, he may be on a single buck's corridor, and that buck may have stopped and made that sign at one time. It may be the only time he was through there. That's why I said made at different times and in different years. If you examine the rubs and you notice some of the bark is dried out on some of them and some of them it's fresher, and it's not hard to not hard to find to tell the age of a rub if you examine it. You can see if there some of them are fresher and some of them are older, and you can definitely see if some of them aren't years with the old scars on the trees. Fellas, there's not a more productive place in the world to hang a stand than in a tight funnel that has large rubs made at different times of the year and in different years. I'm gonna say it one more time. <laughs> That's that's so important. When I talk about that one special place and that one special tree, now it's the same thing. If you get a mature buck's picture four or five times in a funnel and he hadn't made a lot of rubs, because sometimes if the ground's real steep like it often is in a funnel, it's hard for him to stand there and make a lot of rubs. <clears throat> if you find <clears throat> If you make a stripe and, and big tracks keep showing up, you don't have a trail camera. That's how I used to do it before I had a trail camera. Or if I put a camera there and I've got 
two or three different mature bucks or one mature buck several times, maybe my target bucks picture there. Or if I go there and there's snow on the ground and there is a huge concentration of deer, that funnel is long enough and tight enough that it's forcing a huge concentration of deer together. Or if I go to the funnel and find a lot of big rubs made at different times, it all indicates the same thing. you got to understand that. It, every one of those indicates the same thing. Multiple use by my tear bucks or your target buck using it multiple times. <clears throat> now, I hunt trails and travel corridors and buck sign when the timing and situation is right. From about October 25th to November 2nd or 3rd, it's possible to kill a big buck on a travel corridor with big rubs and stripes down a rub line or big stripes, fellas, if you do not educate him before he starts moving during daylight hours. And we discussed that timing where I live and hunt, and it's up to each person to do their own research. But remember, even though the timing is getting into the rut and getting warm, you're likely to run him off and do more harm than good by hunting him that early because he was still moving at night. But once we get, fellas, once we get into the first or second day of November, I switch, switch my tactics to hunting some kind of natural or man-made geographical feature that will force deer into a smaller spot. Most people will hunt will look for a traditional buck sign to set up on and they'll continue to hunt it through the entire rut. Fellas, that's why a lot of them fell in their quest and this season at the end of it they realize it ended up like the last season they just have not killed a big buck. Uh, once the big bucks start hunting, and I want to find a geographical feature that will force three or four corridors together. This will triple or quadruple my chances of success. And, fellas, this is the only thing in the world that will do that. Mm -hmm. That's it. So that's we've, we've discussed hunting during the rut and not hunting too early, and now we've discussed stand placement and what I look for. And that's pretty well, in a nutshell, my take on it. Have any questions? <laughs> there are so many questions going through my mind. Yeah. And maybe not even questions. Mostly, I just want to say uh, that I'd like. It's hard, it's hard to ask questions based on things that you maybe haven't heard, right? Right. Like, like you have so many questions, but most of those questions are based on like. Well, this is what I've always known. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, and and with with what everyone else normally covers in podcasts, you you kind of like you kind of know what to ask. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you have with a, Bobby. You you, you don't just yeah. because you're hearing stuff like you're processing because you're just like like I never even thought it never even crossed my mind to count deer on a funnel, then go back yeah. and look at it and go that one has ten, that one has five. Of course, I want to hunt the ten. Yeah, I, I think I think the main thing, Bobby, right right when you right before you went into that section, kind of talking about you know especially when there's snow on the ground and counting counting the tracks and finding the, the highest concentration, you started talking about an area w where um, 
where all of like scent from multiple directions kind of is forced down into would that be uh what you would consider to be somewhat of a thermal hub like where all the thermals kind of meet Knowing, knowing what definitely would be. Now, fellas, I've never heard that terminology, but let's say I see where it could come from easily. Let's say you take a wagon wheel and you lower, you lower, if you could push it down, the center piece where all the spokes come together, and you leave higher the outside rim. You leave it up higher. Mm-hmm. And then as the air cools, the air would per se run down the spokes into the hub so yeah it could i've never heard that terminology some you could easily describe it as a thermal hub okay that's what i was picturing when you were talking about it and we've we've talked about thermal hubs before um okay but being able to kind of put it together especially when you're talking about stand placement so we've talked before with um with several guests honestly just about those high odds places and connecting the pieces of the puzzle so what I feel like what you just did is uh, a puzzle that was kind of a simple puzzle uh, or a little bit simpler. Maybe the pieces weren't quite as uh, as uh, small. You just chopped up those puzzle pieces and you put more details into that mm-hmm. to make it fit like the smaller details fit together. Yeah. And when so when we're talking about something like stand placement or, um, you know, or even like scouting, you know, talking about the the amount of detail that you're going mm-hmm. into when it, when you go in to scout an area and finding you know the the old and newer buck sign yeah. you know and finding that to me just helped me you know kind of grasp a little a little more of what you were talking about Drew do you have anything I would, well I was just gonna say Mr Bobby too what what it does is um, with the way you were describing especially what Parker was just talking about um, uh, the 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 different rubs at different times and different seasons. Um, I know that I'm guilty of walking through the woods and just looking at a rub going, Oh man, that's, that's awesome. But you know, um, and then you've seen an old one. Um, traditionally guys are more like, Oh, okay, well, that's an old rub. He's not here. He's, he's gone. He's moved on. So that was, that, that was huge too. And then, but, but also making sure that that those rubs are in a funnel. They're they're in a tight spot, and it's 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 really cool how you can, Mr. Bobby, take huge amounts of public land, and you can shrink them things down pretty quickly in the sense of okay, this is a funnel, this is a funnel, and I want to hunt here. And you essentially took a thousand acres, and you said, okay, well, a thousand acres, he's going to walk through this two acre spot right here, and that's where I'm going to hunt. That's exactly right, and and a two acre spot may may not quite get it you may have to you may have to restrict his travel down one one way i do it is uh, i make a large i've i've wrote a lot of articles on mock scrapes i'm one of the first one i guess that really talked a lot about it in depth and anywhere that i'm hunting that the deer don't funnel quite as close as i want i will block off as much as possible and then i will make a very large mock scrape right in the middle of where I want them to pass. It's nearly impossible for a big deer during the rut to pass up a fresh pod place in the ground. And I've noticed a few things about the licking branches over mature buck scrapes. A lot of times they're coming straight down or nearly straight down. And a lot of times they're big as your thumb. And a lot of times they're up high. I'm, 
I'm a little over six foot, and I want I want one up about my chest, upper chest, or higher. Those are some characteristics I've known. So there's usually not a limb where I want my strength to be. I want my strength to be exactly where all the force together, say the head of a ditch fund or around mm-hmm. the body of water. I want my strength to be exactly in the middle of where all of that is forced together at the tightest. Or if it's several forced together here and several right on up above here because there's still a little bit of a drainage here, a little bit of steep side. So several's going here and several's going through, say, seven or eight feet or ten feet above that. I want it right in the middle of those two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I will set my stand up appropriately where I can shoot to that strafe. And I will carry my limb. I will never move a strafe out of forced deer movement to where there's a handy limb. I will always take my limb in, and I want it a crooked limb. I want it sturdy, and I want it big on the end, and I want it coming down at a steep angle. That's why I want it crooked. I will take it in and sit tight in place and take a good heavy rake and really pile the ground up good. Now, fellas, I make my strafes in the spring. When I get in there and find all of my good tight funnels, I will make my strafes in the springtime because I disturb the area so much and leave so much human scent that if I make them in the spring, get my limb right, and get if I have to push some deer movement together and get it right, and then I've disturbed the area quite a bit by winter, by fall, by, by the rut, it, there will be no human scent there. And, and the deer will be accustomed to, they'll know where the strafe is. I know where a good licking range that the right height and has the characteristics of mature buck locks. They'll know, he'll know where that's at. And then all I'll have to do in the fall is go in and, and open that strafe back up a little bit with a raker. Usually the, the deer has opened it back up for me. If they hadn't, I'm pretty well going to assume that I've missed uh, the value of that funnel. They may not be a mature older age slash buck passing through that funnel that's that's kind of an interesting scenario too Uh, all bucks all deer have boundaries to where they travel they they don't just roam outside of those boundaries too much and and you may make a you may know where you may have seen a big buck two or three hundred yards over here in god's picture and you found this real tight funnel and you think well i'm gonna set everything was funnel kill this deer here he may not his boundary may not extend quite that far I've lived on and hunted a piece of property for a long time that's about 3,000 acres, and, and, and there's some people that hunts on about half of it, and I hunt the other half. They have occasionally got pictures over the years of mature bucks that I've never, ever got a picture of, and, and I've done the same. And, but now some of them will run through both sides and, and off both sides. And you got to understand this, too, that setting up in that funnel – for a particular deer, I won't do it. If I'm, and I always target my deer, but if I'm hunting a particular deer and I've never got his picture in a funnel, I don't care how tight it is. There may be more mature bucks coming through there, but if my target buck ain't, I won't hunt it. I think sometimes we're hunting funnels and maybe a buck, when he's young, gets our wind or you shoot it, maybe kill his doe when he's a fawn or, or shoot at him or he gets spooked or he maybe gets spooked by a predator. There is certain tight funnels inside of Buck's home range that he does not pass through. And and you would think that would be the one he would the most. And they might be a more subtle funnel, one that covers half the distance a few hundred yards away that he passes through regular. 
I used to, I've learned this years ago before they were trail cameras, just for studying the tracks, and I would measure and, and look at tracks real heavy, and I would clean out, uh, scrape really good where I could examine and learn the tracks. And I'd learn what a particular buck's track had, and I learned this years ago that there was some funnels that a mature buck would not pass through, even in his home range. So you've got to be aware of that. There's so many rabbit holes we can run down here when talking about funnels, but you you got to be aware. You got to be aware of that. And for some reasons you you'll never know. But if you don't have enough trail cameras to cover funnels, it don't bother me. I just I make large scrapes, and a big buck is not going to walk six or eight foot from a fresh large scrape during the fall and not go over and put his scent and and track actually in it. So uh, that's a good way to refine funnels even even finer if they're not quite as tight as you want, is just to make a scrape. I, I never will forget years ago I was hunting Illinois, and I was hunting some private land, but the shotgun season's fixing to open, and there was a public archery-only piece of property pretty close that you could hunt during the shotgun season on the outside. So I got in there and found a good tight funnel. I surmised that, it was Friday, and, or it's Thursday, and I surprised when the shotgun season opened, there'd be some bucks pushed on there from uh, that normally didn't go on there anyway. So I got pretty close to the uh, property line of the managed area, and I found a nice backbone of a ridge. And I, right at the base, there was a steep bank coming off the point of that ridge, and it was pretty steep, and it had forced several deer trails together and made a pretty tight funnel. And I made the prettiest mock scrape you ever seen in your life <laughs> and i didn't have time to go back there and put my stand up so i i just gonna carry it in in the morning and put it up and as i was in there i could see a flashlight and hear a guy climbing in the climber stand up there on that ridge right right above my funnel and all i climbed up where i was at and three or four hours later i heard him hooping and hollering and went over and he had killed an absolute giant and he said they was a big buck coming walking the edge of that ridge and looked down there and seen that funnel and come running as hard as he could to that funnel. He said, I don't know if it was his, I mean, to that stripe. He said, I don't know if it was his stripe or not, but when he seen that stripe, he run, and it looked like 100 yards where he showed me that that, that buck had run to that stripe just to just to smell <laughs> it and put his foot in it and, and put his, I say foot, put his sin in it. And when I say foot, I mean just by the way they put their sin in it and they'll, they'll walk in as they walk on through it it's not on purpose that they're tracking the stripe in my opinion but anyway that just shows that a lot of times a buck won't pass by a, a, a nice funnel and not go over and, and smell of it and put his scent in it too so that's that's a lot. i didn't really that one one or one of the rabbit i didn't really intend to go that direction but maybe some of that stuff is good mr bobby any direction that you decide to go is going to be good yeah um i think so too i i did have a question um, I've actually got two questions, and um, the first one is, is is fairly simple. Do you use any type of scent in your mock, mock scrape? Well, I'm not much on commercial stuff, Phil. I, I feel like that once the urine is gone, all that's left is ammonia from urine. I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the difference in in human urine or 
deer urine in a scrape. I often urinate in a scrape. Matter of fact, I don't really call them mock scrapes. Sometimes I'll be sitting up in a tree during the rut and things will be happening and I'll get excited and I'll get the urge and I'll just get down and make a scrape. I ain't mock scrapes. It's human scrapes. I, I got down and made that scrape. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's that's just interesting excited? to know. No, you get excited sometimes, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'll, I, I, I'll urinate in them, and I don't see no use buying expensive uh, expensive uh, deer, deer urine. You, you never know. I know the pheromones. I know some of them advertised for. I went down that road for a while and tested different things that was advertised as uh, doe esters in heat urine. There's a lot more scent that enters when a, when a doe in heat urinates in a straight. There's a lot more scent that that is washed into that scrape from her uh, body yeah. parts and her tarsal glands than there is that comes out of her 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 urinary tract. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that uh, we can. I don't. I don't believe we can. If we collect that and she's standing up straight and not urinating in the way that they do in the straight and over her tarsal glands, I I don't know if we can. I, I just hadn't seen, I, I put a lot of doe urine, doe esters urine out in years past, and I just, you know, come on. If we could imitate a, a, the scent of a doe in heat in her urine and put that out over a, a stripe or a mock stripe, and a buck was with two or three hundred yards of that downwind, he would break his neck, come running to that. I just hadn't seen that, fellas. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. just, yeah. I, I just hadn't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't waste my money, and I, I think... I think most people listen. All that's all that's cosmetic. Putting mock stripes is not, you know, it's not a commercialized thing. You don't mm-hmm. buy them. But uh, so much of this uh, buying all this uh, gimmicks is 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 cosmetic. It, it may it may help one percent of the time or two percent, but uh, I just uh, you know you make a good mock stripe and you you pile the ground out good and heavy and fresh and you got a big old heavy limb over it coming down from above. I don't care if there's sin in it or not. That buck is coming, going to come over and put his sin in. I guarantee you, mm-hmm. if the timing is right, he's in the mood. If he ain't in the mood, ain't nothing we're going to make him do it. Yeah. A lot of people don't even understand the purpose of stripes. I wrote several articles for North American Whitetail on rubs and stripes. You could Google them and and uh, see what I have to say on the purpose of rubs, the different types of rubs and of stripes. But uh, that's a long subject that we. <laughs> well, that was that was going to be my my next question is, um, is there, you know, we've kind of covered stand placement, and we probably need to, um, we probably need to, to to wrap up that portion. But I would like to know you've talked about multiple um, rabbit trails that you could go down. Is there any literature anywhere that you would recommend? Um, even if it's something that you've written, anything more specific that maybe gets more into the, I guess, the nitty-gritty of, of stand placement. Is there anything you'd recommend? Well, I've, re- I've written several articles over the years for North American Whitetail Magazine on funnels. Uh, my book, of course, you can't hardly find one at all right now, Passionate Quest. Uh, they just don't come on the market anymore, anymore, and if they do, they're they're extremely high. I've seen them go for over $1,000. Uh, but... I probably got a. I cover understand placement. I cover funnels in that very extensively and uh, talk describe a lot of different types of funnels. 
And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's other good material out there, fellas. I just, mm -hmm. I, I, there's none of it that comes to mind right now that I could think of. Uh, uh, you know, the best way to, to, to learn this stuff, and it's not a gimmick, uh, a mock scraper and a gimmick, I use it. It, it's covered under stand placement. I use it in tight funnels to further refine deer, and I, I, one of the biggest reasons, there's two or three reasons I make mock scrapes and always have. Uh, I want a standing shot, and if you guys have ever tried to put a sight pin on a, on a buck that's cruising looking for hot does, he ain't waiting around. Well, you could run and stop him, but that puts him on high alert, and if he's been drunted at before and shot at before from a tree stand, he is liable to run when you run, but if he don't run, if he hadn't had that experience and he stops, he is on high alert looking, and when you release, he may hear that. I want one to stop naturally, and that scrape, he'll always stop in it because it's right there in the tight funnel where it's supposed to be anyway, and he's going to always stop in it and work that limb and give me a nice standing shot. Another reason I make them, if there's a couple funnels of equal value to that buck around and and he comes through during the night and finds a huge stripe in one of them and and then he's got the option next time to go to one or the other he's going to come to that one where he where he found that large stripe in and check it out and see if uh, though and heat has urinated in it that's why they make them so that's 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 what he's going to do uh, uh actually a, a a scent post i call them some people call them sign post rubs i call them scent posts they they've got the same scent in them and on them, the scent post rubs as a straight. That that buck will take his forehead and rub his tarsal lens and put that same scent on a rub. And I've seen those just absolutely lick it and just bounce around and just have a fit when they found a fresh rub like that. But there, there we go down some more, some more rabbit holes. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Mr. Bobby. I... I'm not saying a stripe is a mock stripes is is not it's not cosmetic. But, fellas, when you get out of hunting during the rut and not hunting before the rut in 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 pressured areas, not not in the not in some big piece of private ground or somewhere in a pen, but when you get out of that and when you get out of a you stand placement, you you lose your restriction that forces deer to a certain spot, and you get out of the amount of time you spend hunting, which we're going to cover next time. Right. I think I think that I, I think you're getting into a lot of. Uh, you're getting into a lot of gimmick stuff when you get into commercialized stuff that you can buy and all this. I, I think you, I think most hunters that try to buy their way to success and don't do it in hard work is 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 going to be disappointed. And the best way to learn funnels and discover them is walk the woods. That's, I mean, I, I've lived in the woods and I know terrain and I, I can see, I can see the features that force deer through them from a mile away. A trapper is the same way. An excellent trapper may not even know it, but he's an excellent deer hunter too. He uses terrain features. He goes and drives around, looks for ditches, and looks for coverage going under the road, and and looks for all kinds of stuff that funnels varmints, and that's where he sets his traps. And a, a very experienced or an expert trapper is an expert hunter. He just don't know it all. He's got to do is change the weapon. He uses and refine a few things. It's it's just a lot of time in the woods will will tell you where game's going to move and 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 sometimes it's obvious it's obvious that you, you know like you come upon a a ditch you ain't going to cross and you're going to have to go around or a slough or a body of water, 
And when you're hunting water, I always remember that a deer would rather walk on dry land than he had wade, and he would always rather wade than he had swim. So you can use that to kind of kind of figure out how he's going to converse across the water. And if if you're following a stream and it makes a pretty good U or a pretty good hook there, then you've found a good funnel. If a stream, let's say a stream is going across our piece of paper and it makes a horseshoe up or a bend down. Either way, a bend, I'm going to call it a horseshoe to describe it, but now it's a bend in the creek and then it continues on. Well, a deer walking, the say the Say the horseshoe goes up, the bend goes up. A deer walking above that stream, if he did not go completely around that horseshoe bend, he would be required to wade that stream twice. He would have to come on this side of the horseshoe, then walk a little dry land and go across the other side of the horseshoe. They will always, always go on the outside of that bend, and that tightens up. It may not tighten up just one. There may be one walking the edge of the stream it tightens up, and there may be another walking a... Uh, 50 or 75 yards up and that horseshoe goes further than that so it also refines him around that to that to that point right on the outside edge of that bend in the creek. There's just so many funnels that you can describe and talk about that that are in the woods it's just it just blows your mind uh, what you can find and, and people say well there's no hunt funnel on my hunting property that would be very very unusual and if that was the case I would make some but piling up some brush and doing different things but I would force at least I would walk two different buck corridors and when they come they're closest then I would move them on together through whatever means I had to use I've when I was hunting an old buck one time he was in the no six and a half year old deer I ended up killing at seven and a half he had two different ridges, backbones. He would occasionally go go down, go into this big holler. And I, I, I refined him. I hung up an old, an old pair of striping underwear on one of them for a few days. <laughs> and sure enough, that was just, that was just enough encouragement, <laughs> as it would have been. I think anybody that come across that was just enough encouragement to force him to the other. And, and I, so... So you got to use a lot of imagination, and uh, but I, I don't think products is going to help you much as your mind and the time you put. It. It's just like anything else. The more you do it, the better you become at it, and the more you're in the woods, the more things will begin to open up to you. And if you'll get in there far enough, I don't like to get in a snow, no six or eight inch deep snow. I like to do this in a two to three inch snow. Because if it's too much of a snow, it may the snow itself may alter where the deer walks because of the difficulty. So, but if you can get in there with two or three inch snow, every time it snows, get in your hunting woods and walk. And I may see the funnels without the snow, but you may not. You may not have that experience, and it, it may really open up your eyes to to what is causing deer to walk where they do, and that is exactly what you have to learn. Wow. I'm 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 blown away, man. So I think good. I think this is going to take some time for I know for me to process. I mean, yeah. you've got me. You've been talking, and I've been looking at Onyx already. Yeah. And uh, and so I think, um, you know, guys being able to process this and and really think through it. I mean, we here we are only on part two, and we've talked for another hour and a half. So we're definitely going to have to do a part three. 
Um, which I don't think anybody's upset about. I'm no. sure most people will be like, why can't we just knock out three hours right now? Yeah. But we also have family, so we've got to... Uh, yeah. And also, it's the one that Mr. Bobby says is the most important one. Exactly. So. Exactly. So I think I think being able to do that... And then another thing that we're going to do is we're going to do some Q&A. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to be asking some questions from uh, listeners, people who listen to the show. I've already... I put it on Facebook a minute ago, and I've already got lots of questions. So... Um, we're going to have some Q&A. Mr. Bobby, I do appreciate it again, man, and thank you so much for giving us your time today. You're you're very welcome. I really enjoyed it, and I, I appreciate you all making me feel important. Okay. Well, that is part two of, um, let's see, part two of the Bobby Worthington interviews with in, within, the, within the Southern Ground Local Legends series. So it's kind of like a little bullet point under Bobby Worthington. And uh, we've enjoyed talking with him. It's been a, a pleasure. We actually thought about thought about doing this. Um, basically, we're just going to um, start our own podcast, and it's going to be called The Bobby Worthington Show. And we're going to just call him up and just talk uh, and just have him, have him talk away. And we're going to – it's a million-dollar idea, I guarantee you. Um, that's all we're going to do in our podcast from now on is just, just talk to Bobby Worthington and, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we have definitely appreciated him being able to take the time to come on the show and give us all of his information that he has, uh, uh, acquired over the years and just being absolutely like crazy successful. Like I've said before, I don't know how to, um, confine this episode in a nutshell or the, these series of episodes in a nutshell, um, but it has been truly eye-opening for me. I hope it has been for you guys as well. Again, check out ScreeGear.com. You can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, all lowercase, all one word, at checkout and get 10% off your order there. Check out TetheredNation.com. We are giving away a Tethered Phantom at the end of this series. The very last episode of this series, we will tell you who has won the, uh, the Tethered Phantom saddle. Um, that's about it guys. Make sure you check us out on Facebook and on Instagram at Southern ground hunting. You can find us on YouTube by, uh, going to youtube.com slash Southern ground hunting. That's going to be it guys. You guys have a great week. I know a lot of you are scouting, getting ready for the season. If you are going to be out in the woods, remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next week for part three of the Bobby Worthington series. You guys, uh, we'll talk to you next time.